So I think it's very important to first understand the product and understand the business side of the product and why this product exists. From Toro Cloud, this is the Coding Over Cocktails podcast, a free pool of thoughts, ideas, and advice from IT experts, innovators, and thought leaders exploring the world of digital transformation, APIs, microservices, cloud adoption, and more. Welcome to episode 75 of Coding Over Cocktails podcast. My name is David Brown. I'm the CEO and founder of Toro Cloud. Our guest for today is the product strategy leader at Postman. Uh, She brings a wealth of experience in data science and APIs. She's been part of the product development at startups as well as Fortune 500s, including PayPal and Twilio. She's the champion for applying product thinking to building APIs, women in tech, and data-driven decision-making. She's about to finish her first book, The API Analytics for Product Managers, that comes out in February next year. Joining us today for a round of cocktails is Deepa Goyal. Deepa, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, David. Very excited to be here. Ah, excellent. Well, tell us what exactly does an API product manager do? Good question. I think API product manager is very, very specific niche within the product manager space. And uh, what makes it unique is really thinking of APIs as a product and building APIs with customer empathy and trying to uh, apply product thinking to uh, APIs and building, building and commercializing APIs. So API product manager is like any other product manager, but they're working on specifically API products. Yes. And I'm always interested in in the distinction between a product manager and the technical side of APIs. And so like, should a product manager have exp- deep expertise in the product and solution that they're designing the API for, or should they be a technical guy who or gal uh, who uh, is, you know, understands APIs and their implementations, or should it be a blend of the two? It should definitely be a blend. I don't think that it's necessary to be like architect level technical to be an API product manager, but you do need to have at least user level uh, understanding of the technicality because the product does happen to be very technical. So if you think about APIs, it's a product that you're building for other people to build with. So your customer is essentially a developer who is building other products for their customers. And that removes you from the end customer by a degree of separation and your customers are very technical. So if you're not a certain level of technical, I think uh, being an API product manager can be a bit of a struggle. Again, I do believe in people's ability to learn. So uh, I encourage, you know, if people get excited, I think, Everything can be learned, but definitely having that technical understanding uh, sets you up for success in the APIs. All they need is a book called API Analytics for Product Managers to Learn. <laughs> how is the book? Exactly. How is the book coming along? <laughs> it's coming along great. I'm actually finishing writing it in the next couple of weeks, and then it's going to go into technical review. And I'm hoping that I can speed it up and get it out there uh, later this year instead of early next year. But you know, working on it. And this is this is your first book. Yes. What prompted you to write the book? My own experience as an API product manager, I, when I joined Twilio was my real, like being an API product manager, I noticed that there isn't really much information out there on how to do API product management. I have been a product manager in the consumer space and the fintech space and knowing the craft of product management is one thing, but understanding the domain and the product and how B2C can be very different from B2B products, even in terms of day-to-day can look really different. I felt 
that there just weren't enough resources. And as I worked through it over the years, I actually have uh, really detailed notes on things I learned along the way. And uh, some things were like, oh, this is so cool. Like, you know, the way uh, Twilio organizes their teams. And, you know, I was really impressed by how their support teams and support operations work. Uh, And I learned a lot about how sales deals with a product like API and just how much uh, technical knowledge those functions also hold. And we always think that developers are, you know, the most technical. So so learning about all these different personas as part of doing the user research, uh, same at PayPal, I learned a lot about developer experience and designing for a better developer experience. Uh, So I kept detailed notes and I felt like I really wanted to share it with anybody who is trying to, uh, get into this space and enable more people and more people to be API product managers, enable more API products in general. And, and so that experience at Twilio, was that your first experience as an API product manager? Yes, I was in, in I, had, I had been a product manager for internal APIs and built uh, a few APIs internally, but as a commercial API, that was the first that sort of brings me back to my earlier question as to the skill sets required to bring on to that role. So how did that role come about for you? What were you doing at Twilio before then? Uh, so before Twilio, I was at a at a fintech company called Prosper Marketplace. And I was uh, I had been a product manager there for uh, about five years. I had been a payments product manager. I worked in, uh, in as a growth product manager. And also I helped them build their partner APIs that enabled their... Uh, it, so Prosper is an online lending company. They have double-sided marketplace for lenders and borrowers. And for lenders, we built APIs that would help enable reporting for them and... Uh, enable quicker decision-making using these APIs because previously they used to have all these file transfers and it was really slow and building analytical products on top of those APIs for investors to look at. So the way there's two or there's a couple of different ways I came upon Twilio. One was the work itself. I had scoped and built and shipped APIs for different use cases. So that helped and the other thing was I actually attended a few developer conference with my team and the developers on my team. And I started exploring Twilio APIs as just like small projects and things that people presented. And I found it really fascinating. That's how I learned about how API itself being the product instead of being a supporting infrastructure aspect to the product. Uh, so that's really what got me excited about just the API being a product and that being the center of everything. Yeah, and what, is it, what does it mean? What does it mean for an API to be a product? So you had deep product management expertise before you took on that role. So what was the distinction for you as a, the API as a product? So I think the distinction is really when whenever we think about any product and we try to describe it in very simple terms, like, for example, at PayPal, we are trying to enable more people to accept payments. And in order to do that, we have APIs that people can integrate on their platforms or on their stores in order to accept more payments. So there is the what they're trying to do and there is the how they're trying to do it. And uh, same with Twilio is we are trying to enable people to build really advanced communication flows and communication experiences. And in order to do that, they can use Twilio's many, many API offerings. And the how is an API versus when we think about a commercial product or a consumer product, which is more like a 
what I was doing before, which is an online lending company, for people to invest on the Prosper platform or like a lending club or upstart or any of these, they go to a UI. So the how happens through a UI versus in a lot of these products, the how is happening through APIs. Okay. And so you came into that role and were basically thrown into an API product management uh, responsibility. You had deep expertise in product management. How did you transition to liaising with developers and stakeholders and leadership teams and all the rest of it? What, what, what approach do you suggest people take to that? So I think it's very important to first understand the product uh, and understand the business side of the product and why this product exists. We don't, you know, as product managers, we're not always working on zero to one opportunities. A lot of times the product's already there and you come in at certain life cycle of the product. In this case, uh, I was PM for their serverless tools and it was in beta at the at the time and my goal as the pm was to find the right opportunities for that product to grow and mature and set a long-term strategy and then growth path for the for those set of products. This is Twilio Functions and Twilio Studio. Uh, and the interesting thing was the way I came into the role, first I had to learn a lot about the differences between working on B2C products versus B2B products, understanding the operations side of it, uh, which is how does... In this B2B space of APIs, what are the different partner teams? What are my, who are my stakeholders? So, uh, understanding the role of sales teams, understanding the role of my support teams, like how does the, all of that operate? Because customer success can look very different in a B2C space versus a B2B space. In B2B B2C space, we don't really have sales and it's very marketing driven versus B2B, it's very sales driven. So, Understanding those functions, understanding, asking a lot of questions to my leadership around my, my manager and my leadership around how those functions align with us and how, how we can enable them and also understanding the tools they use. So for example, sales teams use Salesforce and I would spend a lot of time digging into Salesforce data to understand what kind of data we get from there. Uh, and trying in my, in my search, for understanding the customers and segmenting the customers, I was also trying to put that sales lens on, on who are the customers they care about the most. How do they do their targeting? And yeah, I think asking a lot of questions, trying to understand the bigger strategy was one of the first things that I started with alongside trying to understand the product uh, and the technical side of uh, what we currently have and what are our possible uh, opportunities. So if I understand correctly, was it the sales team or the end users of the API that you were managing? No, they were not the end end customer. The end customers, these are public APIs and public tools that anybody can use. Okay, so they're, they're Twilio's customers was the end users. So did uh, uh, what I'm interested in is the balancing the requirements of leadership versus the end user. So did you go and have conversations with end users in terms of what their expectations were of the API? And how did you balance that against the directions you were given from leadership? Absolutely. So I spent a lot of time doing user research. I didn't have a dedicated user researcher, unfortunately, but I did actually create uh, a structure around interviewing a lot of customers. And I did it two ways. One is I looked at usage data to figure out what is what are the different segments 
of users that we currently have. Uh, we were in beta, so we did have uh, users, which is great. And I started with uh, interviewing, trying to interview different segments of data. And what I mean by that is in a, in a public publicly available product, it's not necessary that every customer is going to be an enterprise customer. So we all, we saw the spread of users, which are some of, some of them were like nonprofits, uh, or somebody building an application for a church, uh, and somebody, you know, building, uh, an enterprise customer. So, so we saw this big spread. And the interesting thing when you think about volume is also somebody can be, very successful using the product with only 100 API calls a week. They That's what they needed and they are getting it and they're very successful and they're happy with the product. And somebody can be very unhappy making 3 million calls a week. So volume didn't necessarily mean success for the customer. And uh, the other thing is just the, the spread of customers we had. So I... I studied a lot of the the data on usage patterns to understand those segments and those customers. And then based on that, I created a user research strategy uh, in trying to make sure I try, I, I talk to different types of customers so that I can understand better what kind of teams they had, how many developers they had, uh, and how they discovered the product, understand their customer journey. Uh, because it could look very different for different customers. A lot of enterprise customers would come through sales, but then a lot of individual or smaller SMBs wouldn't. They organically discover the product, but they could be really successful. So that was my strategy. I created a structure around the questions I asked to get data on uh, things I'm trying to prioritize and understanding their customer journey. Uh, and that really helped uh, set the foundation of a lot of the conversations we had uh, internally with, with the leadership in terms of how we're shaping the product. Mm. And how do you go about the API development process when, you, you, when you're when you talking to customers and they're giving you feedback? As you said, like you came in when I was already in beta, so there, there was already something there to work with in terms of an API design. But if you're refining that API design, uh, are you mocking the services? Are you... To what extent do you implement API first design methodologies versus when you're already in beta, just making incre incremental changes to the beta and sucking and seeing whether they like the changes or not? So not that much mocking. We didn't, I guess we were not that design first in our approach, in our development approach, but we did spend a lot of time uh, doing user research in terms of uh, once we understood that we have this variety of customers, we were able to have conversations around what kind of features they wanted to see and align that with our strategy. So for example, an, an enterprise customer would want static proxy functionality and that's important to their security. It's important to their decision-making. And the most, the chunk of the work is really how do we implement that in the back end? So to the customer, it might just look like a simple toggle on the, on their accounts page, but there's a lot of machinery that goes in the background to make it happen. And, and there could be very simple things that other customers want, uh, which are more in, in the realm of like changing the API design or exposing a few new APIs. It's really one finding the balance of which ones to do. And the other is 
also, we extensively used internal users to make that kind of decision. So we didn't just look at uh, external customers, but we also had the sales teams and the support teams who were working with customers on a regular basis to be part of the design process so that we can get feedback because they have a good sense for the customers they work with and get feedback on our designs to see what made made most sense. Because a lot of times when we are API producers, the team that's building the API can, a lot of things can feel very intuitive that are not very intuitive to the end customer. So having a good kind of input mechanism from our sales team, support team, or, or internal power users at Twilio uh, was really great. And in addition to that, we also had uh, a lot of beta programs where we had developers that were just more engaged with Twilio and sign up to be part of beta. So we would do, the way we would release features assured that we would release it to a limited set of customers. They would try it out. We would get feedback and then grow user base instead of doing it all at once. So that incremental release really helped uh, get a lot of feedback through the development process. Okay. Well, your book is called API Analytics for for Product Managers, API Product Managers. So uh, what sort of analytics are we talking about that a product manager, API product manager would, would be interested in? So I think there is a whole set of infrastructure APIs that we generally look at, which is like uptime and uh, things like that. But I think from a product manager, it's a little bit more of a business lens and the customer focused lens on analytics. And that ends up being measuring the customer journey. How are people answering questions like, how are people discovering your APIs? How are are they able to try it out? So, so when I think about trying to build metrics, on top of the infrastructure metrics, we have the product metrics, which is around the customer. And then we have the business metrics, which is more around, uh, around revenue. So I think of it in three different layers. And in the product metrics, we think about discoverability of when we put out documentation, we are doing SEO optimization, for example. So if I'm making another API for payments and there's already multiple players, are people even able to find my product? And when we put out video tutorials or YouTube on, on YouTube or we do social media marketing, are we able to reach the right audience? So that's the most top level metric on discoverability. But from a usage standpoint, we start to think about time to first call or even number of signups. Actually, let's start there. It's like number of signups per day. Are developers able to find the API? Are they signing up to become uh, customers? Are they? Are we getting enough user creation per day? And then how many of them are actually able to reach their first API call? Because that also tells us a lot. For example, the, the sign-up process for getting your, your credentials should then potentially have a lot of friction points. Do you need some kind of an approval or can you just like uh, sign up and get your credentials in two minutes or does it take two days? So that can make, make a big difference. And then thinking about things like time to value, which can depend on a lot of different things. So for example, depending on how complicated our sandbox design is, does the customer make the first business transaction immediately? Or if they have like a lot of approvals needed, then they might not do it for weeks. So for example, when we look at Stripe, they don't actually have a very complicated sandbox. Uh, you can sign up, make a first transaction in fairly in a couple of days, uh, make a first production payment uh, versus in PayPal, it can take weeks or months. So uh, because you will spend so much time in sandbox, 
uh, and going to production will be complicated. So measuring all these different uh, aspects of uh, the user journey to measure the product that lead to business metrics like revenue and how customers scale. You mentioned a couple of things there. What you mentioned, time to first call and time to first transaction. Can you just run me through the difference between the two? And because I know you've proposed to have, you want people to evolve to monitoring time to first transaction. So I just want to understand, clearly understand the difference between the two. Yeah, absolutely. I think payments are a great example. You can make a first API call, which is like a test call, a, d- a dummy transaction in your sandbox account very easily. But uh, in, in most payment APIs, you wouldn't actually move any real money uh, until you get like business approvals and you have to submit all this paperwork. And as a consumer, you can sign up, get your credentials, start testing out transactions in your development environment. That would be time to first call. But you would need a lot of paperwork and approval to actually get to moving real money that goes through a bank and is a transaction that is processed. So that would be business value. So so that would be the difference. So the way I think of it is time to first transaction is happen happens a little after time to first call. Uh, another scenario where you don't have that kind of paperwork required is probably Twilio. So at Twilio, when you sign up, they give you free SMSs per month for develop to enable developers to build. And the the way we measure value is not just first tra- first API call because you can sign up on Twilio really quickly, get your credentials, build a simple app. There's a lot of copy paste code. You can really get it under like five minutes. You can make your first Twilio app and make an API call. But from a business standpoint, what we consider value is when a customer reaches 100 API calls because that's when they have uh, built their application to a point where it's significant uh, and they are operating an application or uh, they're reaching value. So it's also depending on what we see in terms of pattern because you can send an SMS in your first API call, but that doesn't mean that you have reach success using the product. So sometimes it can be as black and white as did they move the money in terms of financial APIs, but in terms of Twilio, it could be something that we set based on usage data. So presumably as an API product manager, you want to minimize both. You want to minimize time to first call and time to first transaction. Time to first transaction sounds like perhaps a more difficult thing to resolve if it's going to require, as you say, approval processes and the like. So uh, whereas the time to first API call might be more of a technical type of thing, a documentation and providing access to API keys or whatever it may be. But uh, so how as a product manager, do you get involved in that process of looking at those metrics, those uh, time to first transaction and and optimizing as a product manager I'm, I'm looking at both and personally i feel like it's it's incorrect to compare the two i don't think they're competing metrics they're really linear if you improve time to first call then you can improve time to value and the other thing is as an api pm I am looking at the fact of how long it takes for a customer to uh, to get to time to first call and then breaking it down to understand which customers get there faster and how and trying to understand that journey better. And time to first call impacts teams like developer relations, for example. They are producing all this content that is trying to get people to create their first application or try it out. So if there is certain channels that are working better, certain content that is working better, or 
certain documentation or parts of documentation that are more confusing uh, that's leading to customers not being able to get started let's say we are or or there is the user flow of like the sign up process is confusing or people couldn't find the the login page or things like our load time of the page is slow uh, it could be any number of things that could be leading to the user not getting to their first call uh, so as a, as the pm i'm looking for those signals and trying to understand and all the different things that are working and all the things that are not and then based on that trying to figure out what we can do to improve those pain points makes sense we well, have now transitioned to a role of uh, product strategy leader at postman tell me about the role there so in this role it's a very interesting role where i'm thinking more about how to shape strategy for postman and also how to enable api strategy thinking for people who are using Postman. So our customers at Postman are a very broad spectrum. There are, uh, of course, developers who are very successful using Postman. We also have enterprise customers who are looking for different things than individual developers. And uh, in terms of strategy, we do two things. One is, of course, how we evolve our product to better serve a wider audience and see where the industry is going. And the second thing being really, how do we enable all these companies that are trying to build APIs using Postman or using Postman as primary or as in, in combination, irrespective of that, how do we shape that conversation uh, so that we can enable more, more companies, more, more people to build successful APIs? That's a challenging role. Uh, how long have you been in the role now? Uh, a little over three months now. How's it going? Is it talking to the same deal, talking to a lot of customers and that sort of stuff to get familiar with it? Absolutely. Yeah, I really enjoy talking to customers. Uh, that's definitely one of the one of my favorite things about being a product manager is just how much I get to learn from, from our customers. And it's really interesting to see how much excitement there is it for APIs. There is so many companies, young and old, who are now thinking of APIs more seriously and, and they want to build API businesses. I think for the longest time, developers have been champions for APIs. They've understood the value prop. Uh, but I think the business side of a lot of organizations are still now onboarding uh, onto that that train and now starting to think about like, okay, we do want to invest in APIs, but like, how do we go about it? So uh, that's where the interesting challenge is, is how to help them shape their API strategy based on their scale skills and based on their scale, based on their business and domain. Uh, those are really interesting conversations. Like you said, that them, I mean, uh, I think Postman has 30 million plus users. So dividing those into cohorts of you've got all sorts of size organizations and individual developers using it as a product strategy uh, leaders, do you break them into cohorts and have different channels to sort of listen into the, that sort of conversation and their needs and requirements? Absolutely. Uh, small correction, 20 million, not 30 yet. 20 million, okay. <laughs> Hopefully soon. Still significant. Uh, definitely. Uh, yeah. So we do study our customers pretty closely. It, we published our recently we published our state of the API report, which was basically a survey done with 37,000 participants. So that's one of our kind of flagship surveys where we try to learn the industry and, and the, where people are at. Uh, but also otherwise, we have a lot of conversations with customers to understand the different cohorts. And it's really interesting to see the there's so many uh, users who are just developers using Postman 
and it's not really an organization versus there are some that are there, there's a lot of uh, users who are uh, driven by an organizational decision. So I think a great example is like when a, any developer can sign up and start using Postman. But once you start having a lot of users from your company, let's say are using Postman, then suddenly your security team is wondering if this is safe enough or do they have any controls? What can, how they can be better admins of this tool can uh so so that's where things start to get really interesting is like how these other adjacent functions start to think about postman in terms of it being a tool and then uh, how do uh, product managers start to think about uh, what we can do? For example, uh, when I was at PayPal, I launched the PayPal public collection and I was looking at Postman as uh, a marketing channel, essentially, to help discoverability of PayPal APIs. It's like you have 20 million developers on this platform. If we put out an official PayPal collection, then these developers can very easily get started with PayPal APIs. So there's all these different personas and perspectives that really vary in terms of what they want and depending on how big their organization is and what their priorities are. Deepa, I know we're waiting for your book to come out in, in early next year. In the meantime, how can our listeners follow you? I know you're, you're blogging regularly, so how can our listeners follow you on your blogs and social media? Absolutely. So you can follow me on LinkedIn, Deepa Goyo. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is one sprint at a time. And my blog is called onesprintatatime.com because the greatest products out there are built one sprint at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Great tagline. Deepa, thank you very much for your time today and good luck with the publishing that book. Thank you so much. Really happy to be sharing this with all the audience and really happy to be here. Hey, listeners, thank you for joining us in this round of cocktails. Please like and subscribe to check out other episodes of this podcast series. We're also available on your favorite podcast platforms, or you can simply listen in at torocloud.com where you'll find full episode transcripts and show notes. On behalf of the team here at Toro Cloud, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding Over Cocktails. Cheers! Cheers!